Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 291, and this evening we continue with our examination of the Gates of Moria. Indeed, tonight we get to do a meta-examination as we will examine the examination of the company of the Gates of Moria. Um, so uh, you'll remember, of course, that Gandalf and uh, that Gandalf has formed a subcommittee who has been specialized, like, while everyone else unpacks the pony and stuff the uh the special uh gates of moria subcommittee has been meeting and doing its examination and um but that subcommittee is going to pay off in a big way here uh uh in uh in just a minute in tonight's uh, session uh real quick announcement because i'm in real time tonight i'm much later than usual because i was my house was attacked by wargs and i had to uh fight them off so it was valiant uh, I th valiant, I think is the word. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so there we were. Uh, so I don't have as much time for announcements tonight, but I will just say, not this weekend, but next weekend is Sunshine Moot down in Orlando, Florida. We are excited. Uh, excited to see everybody. Um, uh, Sunshine Moot has become such a wonderful annual fixture. Uh, looking forward to getting uh, together with folks again. And keep in mind, you can always join us remotely. We're going to be doing a bunch of fun stuff. Um, I think I'm going to have another crack. I told you guys last week about my... Uh, my new, like, deeply nerdy, spontaneous text analysis game. I think we're going to we're going to play it again. I think in Orlando next week. So, um, uh, so yeah, it's going to be, um, uh, it, it's we're going to have a lot of fun. It's and of course the the theme of uh, Sunshine Moot this year is like songs and poetry. So, yeah, it's going to be cool. Anyhow, so. Um, that is again not this weekend, but next weekend. The week um, it is on the oh shoot, whatever the Saturday is, seventeenth. I think it's the seventeenth. I want to say the seventeenth of um, uh, of February. So uh, join us for that if you can. You can always join us in hybrid. And again, don't forget if you sign up either for the in-person moot or for the hybrid moot, you also get access to a full recording of the whole proceedings of the moot, so that um, you won't miss it as we move forward. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> right. Matt is asking if my dice are themed for the moots. I could roll with se different sets of dice. I have a few different sets of dice. I have not so many that I could roll a different one at every moot. Um, but uh, we could probably do something or other. Um, I'll use my sunniest dice uh, at Sunshine Moot um, uh, there the weekend after next. All right. Let us jump back in before we lose all of our time uh, this evening. Um, uh, and just in case my you know, son is due to inform me if we are assaulted by another wave of wargs here this evening. So we'll see what happens. All right. So let us go back. We just remember we were looking at the, descri the verbal description of um, the signs, right? And then we were looking at the picture and noticing the changes that Tolkien has made in his own visual adaptation of the text that he wrote, right? Which was really kind of fun to see. And here is the response. In fact, hang on a second. Let's just reread the description quick. Oh, no, that's the next slide, not the previous slide. Here we go. Okay, here's the description. At the top, as high as Gandalf could reach, was an arch of interlacing letters in an elvish character. Below, though the threads were in places blurred or broken, the outline could be seen of an anvil and a hammer surmounted by a crown with seven stars. 
Beneath these again were two trees, each bearing crescent moons. More clearly than all else, there shone forth in the middle of the door a single star with many rays. Okay. Um, so we notice the things that he verbally emphasizes, right? The anvil and hammer surmounted by a crown with seven stars, two trees, each bearing crescent moons, and then in the middle of the door, a single star with many rays. And then we have the reactions. There are the emblems of Durin, cried Gimli, who is having one of the best days of his life. And there is the tree of the high elves, said Legolas. And the star of the house of Feanor, said Gandalf. They are wrought of Ithildine that mirrors only starlight and moonlight, and sleeps until it is touched by one who speaks words now long forgotten in Middle-earth. It is long since I heard them, and I thought deeply before I could recall them to my mind. What does the writing say? asked Frodo, who was trying to decipher the inscription on the arch. I thought I knew the elf letters, but I cannot read these. The words are in the elven tongue of the west of Middle-earth in the Elder Days, answered Gandalf. But they do not say anything of importance to us. They say only, the doors of Durin, lord of Moria, speak friend and enter. And underneath, small and faint, is written, I, Narvi, made them. Celebrimbor of Holland drew these signs. Um, all right. Is this the first reference of Feanor in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit? There's no reference to Feanor by name in The Hobbit, of that I'm sure. I think this is the earliest. We do get, um, um, we do get Feanor. Gandalf, of course, will kind of fanboy about Feanor a little bit, um, after the Palantir stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, the unimaginable mind and hand of Feanor. Um, that's like one of his things, right, that he would do. Um, but, um, yeah, I, this is actually, this would be a really good, that's the one that people are likeliest to remember. Like if you really wanted to stump people with the Tolkien trivia question, I think this would probably be a good one, right? Um, it would probably be a good one that, uh, uh, t like where name two places in the Lord of the Rings where Feanor is mentioned. Um, <laughs> yeah, Radadir has a great question. How mad would Durin be when he finds out his good friend Celebrimbor wrote the Black Pit on their special friendship door? Yeah, so it's an issue. It's an issue. Um, uh, the issue, of course, is this is entirely, this is basically a way you can date this passage. And not only this passage, but the illustration as well. Um, and um, uh, that is to say, um, Gandalf hadn't, or sorry, Gandalf hadn't, Tolkien hadn't fully, so you'll remember that it was, it was originally called Moria, right? The name of this place was changing around. You'll remember Khazad-dum was used, was the name of Nogrod at one point. The names are really wobbly, as is often the case, um, as Tolkien, who doesn't often just chuck names out, 
um, but shifts them around um, a great deal. Um, and um, yeah, oh, good. Thanks for confirming that. Yeah, there was. Uh, this is the only reference to Feanor in the Fellowship of the Ring, and yeah, uh, Justin says the only one is uh, in regards to the Palantir. Yeah, the one that we were remembering. Um, so, yeah, it's um. It seems pretty clear that when Tolkien used the phrase the Mines of Moria in The Hobbit, right, in chapter one, um, that that was just, that was its, that was its name, right? Um, that was, uh, that he shifted in his head. So, like, he invents the Mines of Moria as you know, the place where, you know, when he invented the backstory of Thorin, right, with Azog and everybody, right, you know, that, that whole backstory from The Hobbit, um, he invented a place where that would be in the Mines of Moria uh, was the place that he invented. Him fitting that into his world building, remember, The Hobbit is only very dubiously connected um, to his, uh, you know, to his legendarium. Indeed, I've argued many times, I don't really think it is at all. I think that he's recycling elements from his legendarium in The Hobbit. Um, and um, there was some interesting, uh, there was some interesting discussion about this, actually, at Osmoot in the middle of the trivia competition. Um, we were talking about this. But anyway, um, about, like, the differences and, like, um, what are the differences, what are some we're discussing what are some of the differences between Gondolin and the Hobbit and Gondolin in, you know, the Silmarillion. Um, but anyway, so, um, Tolkien invents the story of the Mines of Moria, uh, rather invents the story of Azog and Thror and, uh, and all that stuff, uh, at least the outline of it, right? The fact that there was a war and that, um, you know, the feud between Thorin's family and the goblins, um, which, remember, that was really important. In the early 30s, when Tolkien was writing The Hobbit, this was right at the moment where the dwarves were changing. Um, the dwarves were still in the midst of transition from just being bad guys listed with orcs and trolls uh, in the very early works um, to being some of the free folk of Middle-earth, though still occasionally with issues. And, um, though, I mean, who doesn't have issues? So, uh, but... Um, but it was it was really important, and you'll remember this comes up a couple times, that Tolkien insists upon the fact, like the, the story of The Hobbit insists on the fact that Thorin's family in particular are good guys. And you can tell that in general they are good guys because of the wars they've had with the goblins. Right? Remember, this is what convinces Bjorn, um, who is delighted, who has heard of Thorin um, by name and knows his family because of their wars with the dwarves. And because they have been enemies of the goblins, he accepts them as being, or at least is willing to accept, even though, you know, he confirms and verifies, right, as we see. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, so, um, and then, of course, it, it comes up again. 
um, later on that you think of the issues with the Elven King and stuff, right? And there's there's this insistence that Thorin's people are are different, and again, that's really important because dwarves were still at best sketchy characters um, in at in Tolkien's world at the time that he was writing The Hobbit. Um, so it's 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 a big deal, and it's something that needs like we as readers, it's, it's like he's giving us reassurance. And that might seem strange because like, why would he reassure his readers who had never read the rest of his legendarium? So how would they know? But remember, there was a reason he listed dwarves as among the children of Morgoth in the first, uh, like in the Book of Lost Tales. And that's because the dwarves are pretty nasty in a lot of the myths and fairy tales and stories. Like, how many fairy tales about good dwarves have you read? Not too many, right? Most of the dwarves that appear in fairy tales are bad guys. And think of dwarves in Norse mythology. Um, kind of like the dwarf... Um, it's like the it's similar to the, um, the dwarf that... Uh, we meet in um, Blind the Witch in the Wardrobe, right? The one who's driving the sledge of the White Witch, right? Um, yeah, exactly. As Bjarnas on her say, dwarves equal trolls, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of there's stuff. And yes, Matt, even in places like Arthurian myth, dwarves always have a bad attitude, and you, that sticks around for a long time. Um, yeah, so there's there are lots of precedent. There's, there is much precedent at that point um, with the kind of fairy tale backdrop that Tolkien is drawing on in The Hobbit. Even if you don't know the legendarium, um, to think that dwarves are probably pretty shady characters, right? So one of the things that he establishes in establishing the concept of the minds of, in, in, well, the concept of the fight with the goblins, he needs a place for it. And so the minds of Moria, he makes up, he makes up the, the name, right? Um, and he continues to use that name. The name Khazad-dûm... Now, I haven't done... It would take some pulling together, and I haven't done this pulling together. That is, pulling together from the dating of the Hobbit manuscripts, the dating of the early Lord of the Rings drafts, the dating of the... Um, so the some of the stuff... Like the the issues where the like the names of Belgost and Nagrod are changing and flipping around. He, uh, Christopher summarizes that um, in uh, the War of the Jewels, which we just discussed in Mythgard Academy recently. Um, but again, I don't remember exactly when things shifted from uh, from one place to another. Um, yeah, and you're totally right, JJ. Lewis did kind of try to have it both ways by having the red dwarves who are more friendly and the black dwarves who are less so. Yeah, no, he totally did. Uh, try to have it both ways, that is. Um, but um, anyhow, so yes, Khazad-dûm um, was always the name. From the from when the name Khazad-dûm was first invented, it was always the name of the best and coolest of all of the dwarf holds. The question was... Um, the question was where it would be, right? Um, like, which one was it? And it was Nagrod for a while. Um, but, um, anyway, so it was, yeah, it was, 
it was complicated. Um, and yes, Cal Elros, you're totally right that the kind of having it both way with the dwarves, when you read how Tolkien talks about dwarves, you can see that a similar kind of situation is true, that some dwarves are pretty bad lots and some dwarves are not so bad, right, if you don't expect too much. Um, and that it's not, if you think about, like, for instance, what um, what C.S. Lewis does with his dwarves in Prince Caspian, you know, in the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia, um, you can see that um, that idea. It's it's very it's not identical, but it's uh, it's similar there. Um, and yes, Jackie, you are right that the idea of the multiple, like, of the different, you know of like there are dwarves and then there are dwarves does seem to survive in the petty dwarves, but that's, that gets complicated. The concept of the petty dwarves doesn't emerge until much later. Um, and I honestly, I think it's mostly just a kind of shoehorn meme in, um, uh, when the world had changed around meme. Um, Meme was a very, very old character and an enormously important character in the Book of Lost Tales. But then as the stories grew and changed, Meme became more and more marginalized as a character. And then certainly after he'd written The Lord of the Rings and decided the prominent, you know, the significance of Durin and the character of Durin, Meme was essentially Durin, the father of the dwarves, before. Um, so Meme ends up, like, losing his whole, you know story, essentially. Um, not his involvement in the Turin Turambar story, exactly, um, but he lost all of his stature and all of his backstory and everything else, um, and Tolkien didn't want to lose him. So, um, um, uh, so yeah, so uh, Tolkien developed the Petty Dwarves in part, I believe, uh, to explain uh, Meme, and I think it pretty much came about during the time when Tolkien was... Um, doing the revised and expanded uh, Narn, um, the Children of Hurin, um, in, you know, after he wrote The Lord of the Rings. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, you read The Children of Hurin before you read The Hobbit, Jackie? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's different. That's, it's not the... Um, uh, no, it's not the recommended order. Um, oh, so you, oh, you had it read it when you were ten, but you hadn't come back to it as an adult. I see, I see. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, anyway, so um, I, we're all. I'm very circuitously coming back to the observation because it's an important one, and I know it's a little bit jarring. Um, it really is sort of a world-building hole. In the water, there's just no two ways about it. It's a relic of an earlier time, when Moria was the next. So he calls it the Mines of Moria in the Hobbit, and then when he comes to this place in the Lord of the Rings, he still calls it Moria, such that he has carved above the door the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria, which is not only an insult, like Lord of the Black Pit, um, uh, but it wasn't the Black Pit. You know, it doesn't re even receive the name Moria from the elves until after the fall of Durin, right? So, um, uh, anyway, um, it's, um, um, 
it's an it's an anachronism in that way to Juice Man. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's just simply the way of it. He hadn't um, he had not retconned the meaning of Moria, um, uh, the Black Pit. Right. I mean he he it's one of Tolkien's really clever retcons. Right. The name Moria already existed. Right. He was already using it. Um, but he wants to call it Casa Doom, so now he has these two names, right? So what does he do? He invents a story for how some people call it one thing and some people call it another thing. But this is, in that sense, I think, simply an error. Um, uh, yes, Bjarne Sonner says, uh, it points out that, so um, the more prefix, it was easy for him to find something to do with, right? I mean, it means black as we all know. I mean, that is, as you can tell, from Mordor and, and everything else. Um, but, um, you know, Morgo, Mordor. Uh, but um, as Bjarnasoner points out, he, like, retroactively um, invents, uh, as Bjarnasoner says, the very awkward word ia, meaning pit, um, that hadn't existed before. But So he, like, retconned a, an elvish word that would make it work as a phrase, Moria. Um, as a, as an elvish name that would make sense to apply to it, um, and anyway, it's that's that's really fun, but it doesn't make sense that it should appear on the doors here. It's just a relic, um, and I don't know if Tolkien just didn't catch it. Um, it it seems like he just it's I. I, I mean, there are very few things in the Lord of the Rings that I would point to and say, I think that's just a mistake. I think Tolkien just erred there. Um, but I think I think that's one. Um, I think this is one. And it's not just a translation. Um, it's 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 here too. Um, uh, I'm right there, I believe, is Moria um, in the mode of Beleriand in the Tengwar, just to the left of the top of the arch, if I'm reading that correctly. Um, Lord of Moria, and this is... Yeah, I, I'm not really good at the mode of Beleriand, but I know that that's Melon right there on the on the right-hand side. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, well, it's not hard, and I'm sure Tolkien would have done this, right? Um, I'm sure Tolkien... Uh, like, and it's one of the reasons I wonder. So this would have been a hard thing to correct. Um, like in his revisions, right? When Tolkien came back or if you like noticed this on the galley proofs or something, right? Got to this paragraph and it was like, well, shoot, it shouldn't be the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria. It should be the door to, the doors of Durin, Lord of, you know, Hathadrond, 
uh, the Elvish name for Casa Doom prior to um, uh, prior to you know the Balrog issue. Um, and but of course, it's one problem is that if you found it late enough, if you found the problem, if you did find it in the galley proofs, um, he would have to try to find a way to preserve, if possible, to preserve the spacing. He often did this. Um, that is to say, you couldn't just sub. He couldn't. He would couldn't put Kaza Doom. Besides which, they wouldn't put that up there, right? I don't think you could put Kaza Doom, the dwarvish name, up there in front of God and everyone, right? I, you know. So, but Hathadron probably the Elvish name. Um, and so either Hathadrond or Khazad-dûm are both significantly longer than Morius, who would probably have been difficult to do. But I think, but then you see, I think, but then he also would have had to redo this, the plate. And there might not have been time for him to redo the plate, right? For him to redo this whole illustration and, um, uh, and resubmit that for publication as well. Um, so... And of the two, so that means if he didn't have time to redo the drawing or wasn't inclined to redo the drawing, um, then there are only two options, right? That is, you're going to have to leave a mistake in there. Because if he couldn't change it on the illustration, and it says Moria right there in Tengwar. Um, now, he's not going to make this not match. So of the two choices, either to leave it wrong in both places or have it right in one place and wrong in the other place, I can totally understand why he chose the former. Why he would consider having it wrong, having it wrong both in English and in Tengwar more palatable to him than having it right in English but wrong in Tengwar. Um, because um, as we can see, Right. I mean, it's so clear from the way this is written, he just from the plate itself, the illustration plate itself. It is so clear that Tolkien wanted one of his motivations to provide this plate was to encourage people to learn Elvish and to learn Tengwar. Right. Here is written in the Theonorian characters, according to the mode of Beleriand, Enin Durin Aran Moria. Pedo Melon Amino. Right? He he gives the whole thing. So Gandalf has read it, has given us a full translation. So now we have the Rosetta Stone, right? We have it in English from Gandalf. We have it in Cinderin at the bottom. And we have it in Tengwar. Right? So now you have a limited, like a two-sentence Rosetta Stone of how to read Cinderin, and how to write Tengwar, in the mode of Beleriand. Anyway, right. Um, uh, yeah, Eric says, in my first reading in middle school, when I got to this image, I paused my reading and went to the appendix and learned the Tengwar, then came back to reading the narrative. Eric, I think that makes you Tolkien's ideal reader. That's exactly what he wanted. Um, he would have, as I've said many times before, Tolkien would have been bitterly disappointed in me uh, as a reader, I had no curiosity or interest whatsoever. Um, I totally looked at the illustration um, when I read it in middle school, looked at the illustration, said, oh, that looks really cool, and then went back to the story. Um, so, um, uh, 
anyway, that's, um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, you should, yeah, you should absolutely add Tolkien's ideal reader to your profile, Eric. That's completely, completely justifiable, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, so, so yeah, it's, um, uh, he's not going to, having gone to all of this effort to create the Rosetta Stone for people who are interested in learning the languages, which I am very confident Tolkien was hoping many people would be. And thus he left this very intricate, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, breadcrumb trail, right, for them to follow, um, he's not going to give them a, 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 a false steer. He's not going to screw that up. Better to have it all say the wrong thing. Because, um, because you, um, as several of you have pointed out, it is not hard to find an in-world explanation. Whether it's in like, you know, tweaking the history in some way, um, so that it works somehow, um, or so I, like for instance, I mean, I, there are lots of ways that that could be done potentially. Um, I saw somebody suggest he could go back and revise the entire mode of Beleriand so that it it doesn't say Moria but says something else instead. That is conceivable, but he still would have had to change the writing at the bottom also. But, um, um, and, um, uh, the, um, uh, but anyway, or, or of course, as several of you are pointing out, it would not be that difficult to construct uh, an in-world explanation for how this error entered the text, right? If you assume that in fact, so... My explanation would go something like this. Gandalf said Moria because that's what they've been calling it, right? Um, so he, you, when he translated, when he was translating, which he was doing, right? As he was translating it for everybody, he translated it, Lord of Moria, right? So that later on, when presumably Frodo drew this sketch, um, he sketched, Frodo sketched, he did a Cinderin translation of what Gandalf said, right? And so he included the word Moria, because that's what Gandalf said, right? Um, Gandalf performing a sort of non-literal um, translation there, right? But Frodo kind of took it literally and didn't think, you know, that Frodo would have would have introduced the mistake, in short, right? Um, and then it and then it stayed. I saw people more inclined to blame. Uh, Findigil King's writer, but I—I I don't know. I gotta say, like Findigil King's writer, he's a pro, right? I—and I, this um, doesn't seem to be the kind of scribal error that would be likely to enter in from somebody like Findigil. But anyway, like I said, you could, um, <laughs> as Piana Sutter says, it's not like Frodo's gonna go back to Moria to check, right? Um, Yes, and he was—he is more likely, I think, to reconstruct from memory, from his and Sam's memory, right? Memory of what Gandalf said, and what they have since learned, both of uh, both of you know, already knowing some uh, Sindarin and Tengwar, right? As Frodo says in the dialogue there, um, that he thought he knew the Elvish characters, but he hadn't read, um, he hadn't learned the mode of Beleriand yet, apparently. Um, 
by the way, just a really quick, I'm not going to get into Tengwar modes in detail because that's a lot. Um, but just to explain what that phrase means for anybody who doesn't understand. Um, there are different ways of representing, um, uh, of representing sounds in Tengwar. Um, in the, um, uh, in the Quenya mode, they represent the vowels with diacritic marks and just have the letters are just consonants and they represent the vowels with diacritic marks in the mode of Beleriand. There are separate letters for the vowels. Right. So that's what it means. It's in the mode of Beleriand. That's why that's why the word Moria here is a five letter word, which it wouldn't normally be. Um, I mean, I think if I were to write Moria in Tengwar, I would write it in three characters with diacritics. Um, But um, uh, anyway, yeah, it's exactly like Yiddish as opposed to Hebrew. If as I understand. I don't know. I know my Hebrew is better than my Yiddish and my Hebrew barely exists. So, um, but as if I'm understanding it correctly, then yes, then yes. Yes. Diphthongs are done with, are done with diacritics as well, but it's complicated. Not getting into this. Um, I strongly recommend, um, if you are interested in learning more about Tengwar, Evil Dr. Cannon and Chad Bornholt do a marvelous, um, they've done it at a couple of our moots. Uh, they do a marvelous teaching, uh, 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 you know, teaching session, intro to Tangwar, an explanation of modes and things like that. Really fantastic. Um, uh, look it up. Um, somebody might post uh, Chad's YouTube uh, recording of his uh, basic um, uh, uh, tutorial. Um, anyway, really, really great, uh, really great stuff. They taught me Tengwar. Um, I've been, uh, I've been, I've been, uh, delighting, um, in learning more and more of that and using that. Um, but, um, anyway, so you can get a fuller explanation, but just to, just to make sure everybody understands, I don't want to be just kind of continuing to toss out that phrase without explaining it. Okay. Anyway, so it's a mistake. And I, I believe that this is, I believe Tolkien didn't catch it until too late. You know, he, he, it wasn't a mistake when he wrote it. It just is dated, right? By the time he revises it, it's just dated. Thank you for posting that, Faith. Uh, uh, and Scott, the links to Chad's uh, uh, Tengwar tutorial. Um, very good. Um, uh, strongly recommend. Um, a great way, if you've never learned Tengwar before, great way to learn it. Anyway, okay, so... I'm glad that came up because that's a really important thing. Well, it's, I think it's not that important to the narrative, but it's a, it is a puzzle that is definitely worth, uh, worth talking about this. Um, okay. But Johannes, all right. Um, I'm, I'll take you up on that challenge, but it's difficult. Um, Johannes says, it feels wrong to discuss this and just call it a mistake. What if it's not a mistake? What if the doors actually said Moria? How do we explain that? Um, I can only think of one explanation. Only one way that I can think to make it work without admitting that it was a mistake. And that is that it was a name that the elves used um so 
it is a little hard to imagine that Celebrimbor deliberately wrote Black Pit and remained friends with Narvi thereafter, right? Um, but, JJ, I can just imagine. Like, if, I'm, if I were compelled to say, okay, forgetting all of the reasons that we have to believe this to be an error, and even stepping away from all of the ways in which we could accommodate that error within the, within the, you know, the world of the writing of the Lord, of the, you know, the internal world of the Lord of the Rings. Um, again, like Frodo's translation sort of thing, as I was just saying. Um, but even if we reject that, the only way, there, here's the way that I would explain it. Celebrimbor's trolling Narvi. Well, not trolling exactly. Not that it's necessarily a joke. So, prior to the Black Pit, something like Hobbitry Wob, almost. Something like, I, I, I would, I, it would be like a first cousin of Hobbitry, I think. Because, so, um, the, the elves... Celebrimbor, out of politeness, wouldn't call it Khazad-dûm on the, on the writing, on the outside of the wall, right, for almost anybody to see, right? Um, I think it's, um, but one can easily see, if we, if we remove all of the negative associations with Black Pit that come later on, right? Um, I mean, calling it the Black Pit after the Balrog has driven out the dwarves. Um, that has a really strong sort of invective to it, right? Um, that is not a compliment, very clearly. And not that I think the dwarves would ever consider having their home called a, a Black... But again, the word, it's, it's the word pit, right? Um, calling it the Black Pit, um, both halves of that could be a little bit insulting. Um... But the first part, the black part anyway, could be a little bit jocular, right? Like the kingdom underground in the darkness. Now, very famous for its lamps was Khazad Doom, right? As Gimli explains in his song. Um, but um, uh, but it's uh, um, but I don't think a sort of. Um, hobbitry-esque kind of acknowledgement that the elves find the idea of living entirely underground, you know, cut off from the sunlight, kind of strange, right? Um, you know, that they would sort of speak of it as if it were a place of darkness. And in its way, of course, like, presumably people who went into Moria and saw all the dazzling lamps um, that Gimli describes would kind of get the joke if joke it was, right? Like, to the extent that it's a joke, they would see the joke right away, right? Um, the word pit, that's an unattractive word, but it surely isn't the only possible translation of the elvish word that Tolkien invents for this purpose, right? Um, if the word doesn't just mean pit like dingy hole in the ground, right? But if it meant um, exactly, Gildalowin, some kind of semantic shift from great cave to pit, um, 
yeah, if it, it means delving, essentially, that's, uh, you know, Chazad Doom means the, you know, the delving of the dwarves, right? Dwaro Delf is basically an English translation of, uh, um, of, of Chazad Doom. So yeah, it would be something like Dark Delf, uh, ish, right? So there would still be, he would still be kind of changing the initial part. Right. Instead of calling it the dwarf delvings, he would be calling it the dark delvings, um, which, you know, fair enough. It's for an elvish audience. Right. And would Narvi like be deeply offended? Would Narvi and Durin be deeply offended by this? No, I wouldn't think that they would necessarily be. Right. I mean, it's and and especially if there really were anything like a, a sort of um, um, spirit of, you know, you know joviality. Uh, involved, I, you know. Um, <laughs> Kurtzman says it was a dwarf pit, which means comfort, <laughs> and that means comfort. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so, yeah, and then the idea would be that. So, Johannes, I would have to think then that the. Perhaps slightly jocular, slightly tongue-in-cheek name, um, but not insulting name that was given to the place by, you know, affectionately uh, by their Holland elf friends. Um, uh, then receives a horrible twist, right? Um, is made horribly true in a in a in a much darker sense, right after the Balrog. Like you can imagine a moment, right, when an elf, like as it may be Celebrimbor or Galadriel, right, looks at it and says, "Ah, now Khazadum is Moria indeed, right? Now it is indeed of the Black Pit." Um, so, were I compelled? to say it's not a mistake and there has to be an explanation, I would have to think the explanation would go something like that. However, I am not aware of one single shred of evidence that Tolkien thought that way. Um, I believe that Tolkien thought of this um, as a mistake. Um, and I believe that his primary response to it would have been to explain the mistake Again, like explain how the error entered into the into the into the documents, uh, rather than reinventing the story. But um, uh, but anyway, I, if I were if I were forced to come up with an explanation, that I think would be my explanation. Um, little room, Johnny. I so. Would the elves have known the name Khazadum since dwarves didn't share the true dwarvish names? Maybe. Um, uh, the, the reason I hesitate about that is that Gimli's been very free with it, right? Um, and it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing um, 
I mean, if it's a secret, it seems a really ill-kept secret. Um, and you could say that, well, Gimli's free with it now because, like, what's he hiding, right? Um, you know, maybe the uh, the dwarves of Khazad-dûm were more secretive about it. Um, yeah, Galadriel clearly did know, Justin. Um, I mean, it's her knowledge of the dwarvish names is going to be what's going to win over Gimli. Um, but, um, but yeah, I... Since I'm making stuff up tonight, <laughs> here's what I would make up about that. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all to learn that the dwarves had their own secret name for the place that they did not share. Um, but that they um, they called it Khazad-Dum. Because, again, Khazad-Dum means dwarf delvings. Like, the place that dwarves dug. Like, it's just about the most generic dwarf place name possible, right? It's very Hobbit-like. I mean, like the names in The Hobbit, right? You know, the hill, the water, lake town, um, all of, you know, those are all, um, uh, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a super generic name. It doesn't mean it's not its name because that totally happens all over the place in Middle Earth, but, um, uh, but it would not shock me to learn that the dwarves had a much cooler and even harder to pronounce name that they kept to themselves um, while telling everybody else the name of the place was Dwarf Diggings. Um, and probably much longer, Kurtzimus. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, but we don't know. Um, I mean, I would add again, as several of you were saying, Gimli starts spouting Kuzdu like it ain't a secret <laughs> at a whole, on a whole bunch of occasions, right? So one of the things that I would also say about that is that I think we should be cautious about being over-reliant upon the idea of um, the secretiveness of the dwarves. It's, Tolkien says that. Um, but if we, if all we had were the text of the Lord of the Rings, i.e. if all we had functionally was Gimli. We meet Glowen, of course, in the council and in, at, at supper the night before, but um, um, but there's... Um, uh, we don't... Um, we don't really... I don't think we'd be able to tell. I don't think we would guess that from just from the body of the Lord of the Rings text, I don't think we'd be able to guess that the dwarves were like secretive about their language because Gimli's shouting it and stuff all the time. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So that's why I guess I would just say it's easy to kind of take those because it's, it's totally there in the appendix, right? Totally there. Mention that the dwarves don't, you know, teach their language um, Gandalf's about to mention it it, it is going to come up right um, but um, but again I think it's I think it's possible to um, to overstate it um, all right anyway sorry 
It's getting late. We're not even going to finish one slide. I'm going to be in big trouble. Okay, let's let's keep going here. So let's go let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> let's let's go back to the beginning. Um. Uh, Gimli immediately recognized the emblems of Durin. Emblems plural of Durin. Now notice he doesn't identify exactly what those are. Um, we can guess the hammer and anvil, right? That seems a safe bet. Um, and we can figure out, at least from things that we're going to learn later, we can figure out that probably the crown with the seven stars above it is also um, the symbol of um, uh, a symbol of Durin. Um, with the stars above his head, right? Um, yeah, the D rune. Well, or at least the D letter. I mean, like, so th this is a D in Tengwar down here. Um, this sort of... D Does it bother anybody else that this D is not centered? This bothers me. Um, like it's asymmetrical? It does now. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, I ask this because I couldn't help but wonder if he was going to write something else. Like, if he writes the D, I don't know what he was going to write. But was he going to write... It looks like if he wrote one other character next to the D, that it would balance. And so I could imagine him starting a little bit to the left um, to leave room for another character but then he just decided not to do the other character so th just the the rest of this is so symmetrical that I just yeah um And that is another Middle Earth mystery. So the yeah, I've no did the top right the two characters on the top right and left. Um, the right does look like an R. Um, the top left one, I have no idea what that is. Um, yeah, not sure, not sure. But anyway, I think, so I think there's a character missing. Yeah, I, I bet you Chad has a theory too, Scott. Um, I think there's a character missing here. And it's one of those places where the Athildians kind of worn off, I think. 
It does look like there's a dot over the D, and I'm... Yeah. So a dot would be an I. Um... Yep. I mean, it, it looks like it's a deliberate diacritic. But it would be weird, wouldn't it? No. Look, he uses... There are dots above in the modable area and here, too. Got double dots and single dots, and I don't get it. So... I'm not going to speculate. I don't know enough about the Moda Boleriand. But anyway, yeah. So I think there's another, there was another letter there. But I don't know what it was. This would be a great mood paper, too. Somebody explain to me what the doors of Moria said in their heyday. Okay. Anyway. This is me not making much better progress. So, there are the emblems of Durin. And there is the tree of the high elves, said Legolas, and the star of the house of Feanor, said Gandalf. See, there you go. The subcommittee came through. Um, the tree of the high elves. What's well, perfectly clear which tree of the high elves? I know the high elves have two of them, trees, and there are two trees here, but there aren't two trees. There's actually one tree. There's one tree in mirror symmetry. Legolas sees that right away. This is not two trees. This is one tree. The tree of the high elf. Which tree? Which tree is it? What? It's, yeah. yeah it's clearly Telperion. No question. No question. How do you know it's Telperion? Because it has, it's bearing the crescent moon. Right? The moon is just starting to grow on it. Like a blossom. Which is what Telperion was. Right? So, um, so the, and that's why the crescent moons growing on the tree. Because they're like, you know, little moon buds. Right? Presumably the moon will get fuller as the moon fruit ripens, or no, it's a flower as the as the moon flower opens or something like that. Um uh so um Yeah, I think no, I don't it's not Nimloth. Nimloth doesn't have it's the tree of the high elves. Right. Um this is this is the tree of the high elves. No bloody A, B, C, or D, right? Um, this is the original. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what, um, that's, what, uh, that's what Legolas recognizes right away. Why? Why did he draw Telperion and not Laralyn? Because they're moon letters, not sun letters. Come on, right? Actually, Maureen, that is a fun trivia question. How many trees are represented on the door? Trick Everyone loves trick trivia questions, right? Everybody just loves those. Um, yeah, yeah. It's because it's, it's a moon thing. Um, so he drew moon 
trees on here, right? Um, I... Looking at the whole pattern here. Because, I mean, that... Um, it's not exactly a joke, but it's it's a little bit funny. Isn't that a little bit funny? Um, like to draw moon trees on the door in moon letters, right? Um, not exactly a joke. Again, it's it's not um, it's like a prank or something. Um, but there's something a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's it's fitting. It is it is fitting. Um, assuming that Gandalf is correct, that the holly trees, which stand on either side of the gate, were planted there during. Celebrimbor and Narvi's day. Right? That it's existed since that time. Um, that these are very, very ancient trees, which Gandalf certainly suggests is true. There's a, a kind of an, a funny design echo. Right? You, you walk up to the cliff, and there are these two big trees standing against the cliff, and in between them is a blank spot, which when you light it up, shows trees around a blank spot, right? Um, yeah, Johnny, exactly. You associate the tree on the door with the holly trees, right? Um, but um, uh, so he's mimicking. This is like art imitating life, right? Except it's stylizing it, right? Where he's planted Holland, Holly, which is connected to Holland, which is a region, right? Where he's from. Um, instead of depicting Holly trees, he's depicted Telperion, right? Um, uh, the tree of the high elves, right? Um, but it's just the nocturnal tree. It's the moon tree. It's not the sun tree. It's not the bright sun tree. Which would fit Johannes with our theory about Moria, if that were true. If, in fact, Celebrimbor did write the word Moria on the gate, the Black Pit, like, welcome to the Caves of Darkness, right? Um, it would be inappropriate to put sun trees on the gates of the moon of of the of the the, the halls of darkness, would would it? Um, this those sort of f stylistically frame the gates, just as the holly trees frame the gates, right? Um, the moon trees are like the pillars of the gate entwining the pillars of the gate in the picture, right? Holding up the message, which again, symbolically works, because who carved the message? Celebrimbor did, right? This is elvish work. This is, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, he, he made the signs. 
And so the elves uphold the message on the door, but the door is like in the prominent place in the top center are the signs of Durin, right? Just as the uh, message announces that these are the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria. We have the signs of the Lord of Moria, but then we also have um, we also have the star, the star of Feanor, and that's like Celebrimbor's signature. Even assuming um, one of the top left or right things is not Celebrimbor's signature as well, or the D, whatever that was going to be at the bottom, um, the star of Feanor, the Feanorian star. 100% Celebrimbor. He is of the House of Feanor, right? Um, and uh, where is that? It's way below. It's not competing with the signs of Durin, right? The signs of Durin are way up, and the 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 star of Feanor is modestly low on the horizon, right? Letting the stars, especially since Durin has stars too, right? And so the seven stars of Durin... Um, are up above your head, right? Like they were for him. Um, and, um, but then there's the little, there's the Feanorian star. Right down. If the top is where you can reach it, then the star of Feanor is right down, what, like waist height? Basically, it's like a doorknob, right? It's about the location. It's where a hobbit would put a doorknob in any case, right? Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And, and he made the door entry, right? The password, um, which he's put up there. Um, Penloth, the suggestion of by the fact of his inclusion of it is that Celebrimbor doesn't want to get away from the Feanorian legacy. Um, Celebrimbor is complicated because he does separate himself from his father, right, Curufin, um, and um, uh, so he does separate himself from the Feanorian legacy to some extent. But the Feanorian legacy is not completely bad, right? Um, I mean, just ask Gandalf when he's fanboying over the hand and mind of Feanor later on, right? He'll tell you. Um, and they are still family, Dizzy. He's not going to, like, you know, disassociate himself from his family. And again, there's there are things to be proud of in being, like, the last heir of Feanor, right? Um, especially if, you know, you are that and make good choices, <laughs> such as make friendship doors with dwarf kings instead of, you know, doing other things. Um, yeah. Um, Feanor as he should have been, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
does Elrond count as an adopted heir of Feanor? Kidnapped heir of Feanor, I guess, if that counts. Um, yeah, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, all right. Um, we are so out of time. But we've addressed a lot of this slide. <laughs> well, anyway, the Moria thing is a big issue um, and needed to be addressed. So I'm glad we talked about that. Um, we will springboard uh, from that into um, the later times. Yeah. Oh, so sorry that... Um, uh, Sharon's just posting that uh, note from Tolkien Gateway um, in Appendix F, Tolkien mentioning that Moria is an elvish name and given without love for the Eldar were not dwellers in such places of choice. Um, yeah. Um, that actually seems pretty similar to what we were saying. Um, that it isn't just a name of doom. Um but that it could potentially be. I mean, I guess, okay, I said there wasn't a shred. Maybe there is a shred. Maybe you can, if you choose to, take that. Because the question is, when Tolkien says that in Appendix F, is he talking about them using the name Moria before or after the Balrog? I mean, is he using it? I mean, that they called it Moria after the Balrog is well established, right? There's no need for retconning there. Um, or rather, he already did retcon that. Um, but um, so you could interpret that comment in Appendix F as just referring to that, basically. Or you could take it as him kind of trying, gesturing at the sort of retconning of the use of Moria on the gate that we were just describing, you know, that, that, we, that I was speculating about. Um, but um, anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, but um, Eric, at least what we covered, the one word we covered today was a name and not a textual discrepancy <laughs> like masters and makers before. But I guess that was interesting, too. All right. It's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. Excellent. Well, just wait to see how, how fast we go next week. It's going to be amazing. All right. Thanks, folks. We'll I'll just wave the white flag here, and we'll continue. Uh, we'll continue with this next week. Um, let us shift over to field trip time. Um, for those of you who can join us for that, for those of you who can't, thanks for joining us for text discussion here tonight. And um, I will. Uh, I will look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Should be able to have class next week, I believe. So that'll be alright. Alright. Alright, no problem, Druid's Fire. Yes, we are without Valori again this evening. Who's still ill, so... Um, we, no, I don't, I shouldn't. Oh, yeah, if you could, uh, Rowan, if you could form up the raid, that'd be great. I would appreciate that. Yeah, thanks.
Alright, I'm coming back in. Alright. So, we are still exploring Holland. We're back to plot uh, discovery. So last week we went up uh, into Karathras and we found how the way is still barred. Um, now, keep in mind, chronologically speaking, um, the way that the game is designed is that you are basically trailing a little bit behind um, the... Um, uh, thank you, Rowan. Um, you're trailing a bit behind the Fellowship, right? So I think it, there might be a couple places where you're ahead of them, but usually you're a step or two behind them. Um, so you would expect to find Karathras still blocked, and indeed you do. So yeah, we're going to head back to Echadaregian, where we milestone last time, and we'll set out from there. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, so, um, all right, here we are, I mount up my regular horse, so, well, yes, we're quite close to the, the burnt tour. So, the, we came down from, we, we looked at a couple different ways. Um, the latter way, the way that Aronos was finding for us, is probably the way that Gandalf came back down. Um, and that's, again, they, they built some very plausible routes into the game. There was this path, as you can see, this road that leads up, which, according to the text, they were following an ancient road, as there would be an ancient road up over the Redhorn Pass, as the elves have been using that pass for an awful long time. Right? Uh, certainly since the days when Lothlorien and um, uh, and Aregian were both a thing. And, um, uh, anyhow, so, um, there's this road, but this road approaches the pass, basically winds around and approaches it from the north. So it would be very easy and natural for them to imagine them coming down from the north, striking that road and taking that road up, but then coming out and turning a little bit south because the entrance to Moria is further south down here is where the Saranan is um, and uh, so they would barrel and if you do it's you know natural enough to bear south and not turn back north up the path that they came down so today we're gonna I think we can just go down the road um, I don't think we have to approach this from the same direction that the company approached necessarily. But of course, what we are looking at today, and if we look ahead, we should see it. Yes, we do. Um, uh, yeah, so what we're looking at here is the burnt tour. And as I say, in general, the, the, the default chronological standpoint of Lotro is soon after the Fellowship, like in any region, is soon after the Fellowship was in that region. Right? So um, we can see that the trees are still leafless and burned um, 
up on top of this hill. Which, I said it didn't matter which way we approached it, but of course it would be quite convenient to approach it from a direction where we could actually get up it. Would be helpful. Um, can we get up this way? I think we can. There we go. I found the burnt tour, which I think means I've... Uh, Yes, I've completed the Ringo South deed. Very apt. Okay. Um, so, yes. Notice, by the way, the grass is not burned, as of course it wouldn't be. It was just the trees that burned. Fire did not sweep across the top of this. But you notice this tree is still smoking over here, right? Um, so this is like the day after the company was here. Um, again, it's sort of where we're, where we're situated here. Um, and so they, they've been very careful to show this. We have lots of rocks, right? So some of these rocks are, are doubtless. So I think that right here, um, uh, do we see it? Is there another sign of their camp other than just this space here in the midst of the... I don't see like a campfire ring or anything like that up here. But we're told it was in a, in a ring of stones, right? Which pretty much looks like this spot. Also suggested by the fact that the trees... This also looks to be the center point of the burned trees, like the completely topless, tall stumps of trees that were burned down. Um, so, so yes, they've been, they as is their want, they have been very careful to represent. I have, I have generally found there've been a time, a couple times when I would quibble, um, or that, you know, where I read something, I think, perhaps differently than they did. Um, the developers of the game, I mean. But in general, they are very careful readers of the text, not just including details that are mentioned, but thoughtfully. Um, it would have been easy to make this whole thing completely burn to the ground, just to be black and dash here. But they didn't. They remembered to keep the grass because the flames were not starting down on the ground. But up there. Um, yeah, I I actually had that same thought, JJ. I was looking past and I saw like what looked like a design in the trees, like it was a rune. But yeah, I think it's just uh, I think it's just the embers. Um, yeah. Okay, so the trees are still smoking. There is Can you see... I know there's a... I remember when I came here, when I was questing here, there was um, there was that quest where you find Legolas's arrows. Are those... Yes, they... Am I noticing that? Yeah, there's like scarring on the ground over here. Do the arrows only appear when you have the quest? Okay, they do only appear when you have the quest? Okay. Well, anyway, then I'll just 
tell you about it, that there is a quest where you find, you pick up Elfaros um, that got, um, you know, some Elfaros that Legolas missed uh, that got left behind. But it's one of the effects of this is that they are emphasizing, remember, what was the strangest, the most um, preternatural element of the wolf assault up here on top of the tor um, is that um, the disappearance of the elf of the, the, the warg bodies leaving only the, um, you know, the, the arrows lying on the ground. Um, yes, exactly. Calaro says Legolas doesn't have nearly as keen eyes for spotting arrows as we've been led to believe. Yeah, exactly. Or at least I like to think he was just in a real hurry. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and there aren't any baseball. I did not bring a baseball bat with me, but it's, um, it's, uh, I probably won't need it. It's usually unnecessary. Anyway, um, there are, so these wargs, notice these wargs are called shadow wargs. So... Again, the Lotro people, they pick up... On, they don't use the word werewolf because the word doesn't appear in the text, right? Um, so it's not like... Um, it's not exactly justified, right, to, to use it. Um, and... Um, uh, but... Um, but nevertheless, they do take advantage of the opportunity to have a sort of a, a special, different class of warg here, the Shadow Warg, um, as opposed to the regular warg. And I don't remember the details of it very clearly, because it's been a long time since I played my way through Eregion, but... Um, and that was still that was still when Griffith was being really hasty, but I'm pretty sure I did a completionist Aregian, uh tour with one of my characters back in the day. But again, it's been ages. Um, but as I recall, I believe that there are quests that um, sort of talk about this, um, you know, this other more horrible kind of uh, of of warg which has been cited in this area that you have to go and, and find them and stuff. I'm pretty sure they, ha there's a, there's a, a warg den, not far from here. There's a, you know, a place where the wargs gather. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so yes, the, um, yeah, down on the rocks. I, yeah, over there, I thought that was in this like South, westerly direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so... Um, and we get more of this kind of thing. It's interesting that they... The Lotro people... Of course, one of the things that I know... Um, you know, I mean, from having talked with the developers, one of the things that they kind of comment on is it, it can be really challenging um, sticking to... Um, yeah, like adhering closely to Tolkien's text when you're making a video game like this and you want to make like a diversity of creatures to fight, basically. You know, you, you want a you want a nice variety of mobs to be able to give. Um 
And um, as Chris Pearson was pointing out, he's like, especially as you go through the text, by the time, you know, in the Fellowship, there's all kinds of interesting monsters. Um, but then by the time you get to the Two Towers, it's like nothing but orcs and Shelob, right? Um, pretty much all the rest of those. It's just, they're, they're very, very few. There are a couple things, like the gatekeepers in Minas Morgul, perhaps, in some ways. But um, uh, anyway, it's the... Uh, they're kind of spoiled for choice. Um, but this idea seems to be something that they kind of seize on. Um, I can't help but think that the demon goats of Enidwaith are uh, like the cousins of the Shadow Wargs uh, from the Burnt Tor up here. Um, Shadow Wargs, which certainly have justification in the text. Um, but, um, um, but demon goats less explicit. Um, you could argue demon goats are implicit in the text, but not quite so explicit. Um, all right, well, let's let's do one last quick thing here. Um, following Aranas's lead um, with a sort of a public service notice. Let's, I'm just going to, I want to ride down to the gate, down to um, Echad Dunan over this way. Um, because we're, um, I, so we're nearing the place, by the way, I doubt he'll be there for me, but we're nearing the place where you find Bill the Pony. Um, it is a delightful, um, it is, it is speaking of delightful. I love random stuff like this. Yeah, random statue. Sorry, so much fun. Anyway, um, it's a it's it's a delightful. So this is like there's there are wolves all over the place here. Um, I love the way that they kind of close the loop on certain stories, and Bill the Pony is one. Um, so. Um, in a way, Loter, the, the Loter developers have suggested that you, the player character, um, end up being the fulfillment of Gandalf's protection on Bill, right? How exactly um, does he protect and guard Gil, uh, uh, Bill from, the, from, the, from the, the wolves, right? And the answer is because we find Bill and protect Bill from the wolves, Um it's uh it's pretty fun um but um anyway here's arnos was saying before um you have to there's a quest line you have to do before you can pass through these gates here um and uh, of course narnian does not have those so narnian is going to have to do that uh i think before next week um but um I, here's the guy, I believe, who has the quest. Um, and uh, anyway, you get to do the Watcher in the Water stuff. So, um, yeah, we might as well milestone down here since we're here. Um, for the Saranan and the approach to Moria. 
because I believe that that's all we've got left here. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll look at the Saranan leading up to Moria. But again, if you're wanting to join us, you can't get in. And that, and that means Narnian too here. Um, uh, so, uh, oh great, we got Bill. Oh, there's Bill. Very good. There's Bill daring the terrain here. Bill standing rather precariously. There we go. That's a little more dignified a posture for Bill Pony. Very good. All right. Okay, so yes, this is your reminder to do the entry quest if you haven't done the entry quest. All right. Um, thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're going to continue our field trip and look at uh, the Lotro depiction of the Gates of Moria. Um, again, you'll notice the thing that um, instead of doing my normal landscape investigation, what I'm focusing on on these particular field trips is the story adaptation that they're doing, which I think is is, is, is sort of a separate thing, but it's a really fun thing. Um, and it's kind of the minority, of course, of the entire um, of the entire landscape. So it's fun to focus on that when we get it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, and I will see you guys next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now.